This is a preview edition of the Storymakers Institute. Become a paid subscriber to access the full episode. Just visit thestorymakersinstitute.substack.com forward slash subscribe. This is the Storymakers Institute with Joel Carnegie. This is your front row pass to the world's most intriguing storytellers, now with transcripts available for paid subscribers on Substack. A quick reminder to jump onto Apple Podcasts or Spotify to give the show a star rating and review. It only takes a minute and helps us enormously to reach more listeners on Spotify. Just tap the star rating on Apple Podcasts. Simply scroll down the show page, select a star rating and tap write a review. This week on the show, award-winning UK documentary maker and executive producer Jane Ray. There's a funny story about Jane and I, which you'll hear in a sec. But on this episode, beneath any perceived glitz and glamour, she reveals to me a sobering truth about the true costs of documentary making. I've been thinking about the time when we were in Ireland together. I was working on an ABC documentary about a, a secret society set up to investigate fairy sightings and you were gullible enough for me to convince you that if you just went down this road you would find this ring of stones and there you would discover pixies and fairy folk have you ever forgiven me for leading you astray never been led so delightfully astray of course i did eventually. (laughs) From memory though, I think I ended up bunking in with you that night because my quote room at the inn was so haunted that it ended up, um, yeah, bailing from my accommodation and we ended up hanging out for the rest of the night. And I remember way too much apple cider was involved as well. It was a fantastic time. And I'm very sorry for actually landing a hire car in a ditch. We won't tell anyone, right? We won't tell the hiring car company. We won't mention that at all. If you were to cast your mind back at the illustrious career that you have, have you ever found yourself in a serious pickle? Oh, so many times. And not all down to you, Joel Carnegie. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I mean, that's part of the the joy of uh, an audio broadcasting career that you do. I mean, if you are somebody who is naturally quite shy, but also incredibly nosy, it's the perfect solution. Uh, Because if you've got a microphone, then you have to get over your shyness because people won't talk to you if you just sit there looking at your feet. Um, And through that, yeah, I know all sorts of pickles. I've had people lock them, not like the question they've been asked by me. And I had somebody quite famous lock themselves in in a cupboard and I spent an hour trying to talk them out of it. Eventually, I think some some cheese on toast worked. I made some cheese on toast came out and that we talked about that. Uh, I have, in terms of being an investigative reporter, I did a stint of, of that. Or um, Actually, it was more, I was producing then, um, working with Mike Thompson, my husband, who was the reporter, and I was his producer, and we travelled the land. And we've, we've been pursued a couple of times, um, and we've had people try and throw us off the track, literally a metaphor. What do you do in those moments? Do you just hit the uh, hit the gas? <laughs> no, we do a U-turn. Just get, run into the bar, <laughs> sit there, yes. breathe, and discuss the plan. In fact, the last time we did that, um, a guy came up to us and he said, I'm a local policeman. I know who you are. 
He said, because I was nearly put on your shift, but I wouldn't do it. We go, uh, how, how on earth did you, did you know? He said, so the person who was trailing you, were they immaculate? I, he said, yes. How were they dressed? Oh, sort of casually with, what were their shoes like? And I said, oh, brand new, straight out of the box. He said, special branch. How do you hold secrets and stories when there is so many reasons for those stories not to be seeing the light of day? One of the first uh, stories that was incredibly meaningful to me that I worked on, it was triggered by a letter that I found in the street and I picked it up to give to a very tall man dressed in a dinner suit running up the Charing Cross Road and I tried to return his dropped paper to him and he was legging it up the street and I, I read this bit of paper it was a handwritten letter and it was about a deal that had been done over the closure of a hospital to um, tell untruths to the public and pretend they were going through a public consultation process when they'd already sold the, the hospital off. And I knew it was all a done deal. And just by chance, you managed to be in the right place where this, was it a drop or was it just by accident that this person dropped this letter? No, no, it was it was absolutely genuine. He was running up the road. He dropped this bit of paper. I picked it up. I have it still. I had to trace the names from the handwriting. I had to go back and go through boxes and boxes and boxes of of um, archive to eventually find the right person. And here's where it got a little bit ethical because when I found the when I found him and challenged him and showed him the letter. I realised that his memory wasn't strong enough. So he was agreeing with everything I suggested to him. And I thought, this isn't, I can't use this. It's not, you know, he he's not in a position anymore to give conform, informed consent. I have to say, later on, I decided now is the time to go back and find these guys. I got the other guy into the room. I remember cowering behind the glass in the studio, just as you are now. And Mike brought out the letter to show it to him. And then all I could hear for what felt like about a minute, but must have just been a few seconds, was this kind of squeak, squeak, squeak of the chair. And I thought, is he going to jump up and punch Mike? Is he going to jump up and run out of the room? Or is he going to start talking to us? And he... He started talking. Was that story what made you get into all of this caper instead of, I don't know, investment banking? <laughs> I think it was dyslexia that got me into this caper because <laughs> I was rubbish at reading and writing when I first started school. And I remember telling my mum after the first day, how was it, Jane? She said, I said to her, oh, and I've done school now, but I won't be going again. Uh, <laughs> that's it <laughs> yes because I realized then that I couldn't do what the other children in the class found so easy and um, I couldn't work out why well fortunately I had a wonderful teacher called Mrs Corner who said it's not because you're stupid it's just because your brain's wired differently and although you will struggle with reading and writing um, you seem to have a lot to say for yourself so we're going to help you. So I think it was that. It was the um, the power of being able to communicate, being able to tell stories, make stories without somebody having to judge you by the way you'd written things down. That was a revelation to me. In 2015, another revelation came along. What was that? 
I got a phone call from Valerie Kleeman um, and she just said, Jane, are you sitting down? And I said, well, I'm leaning against this wall. She said, that will do. She said, I've got something to tell you. But don't get excited because it's uh, it's not money. In fact, it's a massive headache. And she said <laughs> that Alan had left in his will this promise that he was going to have set up in his name a foundation for the promulgation of curiosity and professionalism in documentary broadcast journalism. And there was a footnote, ask Jane Ray if she'd do it. <laughs> this is Alan Wicker you're talking about, the, uh, the highly esteemed globe-trotting Alan Wicker. Alan was a phenomena on British television. He had a show on Saturday nights for the best part of 40 years and it was entertainment documentary and no one had ever seen the like of it before. Um, he was a pioneer. Uh, any bit of technology, any bit of kit that he could use to get stories to the public more quickly and to keep traveling around the world finding new stories and meeting new people he would use it like the first person to use satellite to send pictures back uh, so that he could just keep going keep on the move uh, he was an extraordinary man I've never known a brain quite like Alan's um, and it was neatly disguised in a proper little pucker military style, navy blazer and a immaculately clipped moustache. And he looked so harmless, but my golly, you know, he could interview, he could get you to reveal anything just by a little sitting, easing back in the chair, just by a little pause, a little note that showed that he had listened so attentively to what you said. So I got to work with him towards the end of his life and he had seen this crisis coming for documentary makers of the future, that if you didn't already have a reputation in the business, you wouldn't get a look in because the main funding model um, at, in his day of being able to just walk into a commissioner's office and just declare that you're going off to Kiribati. Some far-flung place. Oh, and yeah, Right, and he'd send you the stuff when he had it. Those days were gone. And the... Uh, idea that a documentary channel would fully fund every penny of your program making, that was going to end pretty soon. He saw it long before I did. And he was right. And he wanted to do something to plug that gap. He wanted those who had a brilliant idea or a great talent, but had never made a documentary before in their lives, that he could provide the best of the best of those with enough funding to make all the difference and to get their documentary made where it would not otherwise have been made had it not been for the Wicker Foundation. The film documentary component for this applications have closed, but the podcast pitch, which is a joint initiative with uh, Sheffield Doc Fest, is still open for a few more days. I think closes around the 25th of February, if that's right, Jane. Absolutely. Yep. Wickersawards.com forward slash apply forward slash the dash podcast dash pitch is the website um, if you want to find out more about that. Jane, I remember after you saving my bacon uh, from the ghouls that were lurking in my room at the inn in Ireland, 
over a full English breakfast the next day, we had a conversation about the challenges of making docos. Now, we're several years on after that chat. We've all grown up. We've um, navigated a global pandemic. We're back and swinging. You know, the champagne is flowing. Or is it? You know, you at the Wickers have just published uh, in partnership with Sheffield DocFest and the International Documentary Association uh, the findings of a sixth annual cost of docs report. What did you find? It won't come too much of a surprise to you, but there is a funding crisis out there with independent documentary makers. And it's um, without wishing to depress you, because there are, there are signs of hope in the report, which you can read for yourself on our website if you're interested. But the main, the overriding hit that we got from it was that there is a cost of living crisis that is affecting independent documentary makers all around the world, excluding Antarctica. Well, I know the penguins are very um, enthusiastic about <laughs> documentary making. So I'm going to believe you and I'm going to take a trip to Antarctica, like a <laughs> trip up that blooming bloody mountain to go and look at the fairies dancing around the fairy ring because a leading documentary maker had told me that it's all true (laughs) just blows my theory about quality documentary makes lovers not haters of us all way out the water (laughs) (laughs) what else has the survey found it's tougher than the little local difficulty of Brexit in Europe, which caused a big harumph for European documentary makers and British ones in particular. It's tougher than COVID. We had a lot of gloom and doom that COVID could mean the end of documentary making as we know it, but that didn't happen. And documentary makers came back strong after COVID. But the current crisis with costs going up and payments coming down has led to 54% of respondents said that they seriously think that in the next year they will have to cease being independent documentary makers because they can't continue. There were heartbreaking stories in the free text field mm. where they talked about the kind of decisions they were having to make, you know, between eating and... Um, having another filming day and um it was it was pretty heartbreaking five percent of people who said since um the beginning of the year they had left documentary making because they couldn't make ends meet um uh so i remember when i was giving that figure the other day in estonia somebody in the second row of the audience shot a hand up a big grin at that point and said but this is a great thing this is wonderful it means that all the bad documentary makers are are, are getting kicked out and and uh, the good ones like us remain and so there's more and I thought I admire your determination here I, 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 I yes you you possibly have a point that there might be a, a bit of natural wastage in the talent pool but on the whole I that's not what I'm seeing. Um, there are people I know who have, um, you know, if, they, if they're not trustafarians or they don't have other monies behind them who are, are really, really struggling. And that is having a, an impact on mental health. That's another thing that we looked at this year for the first time. And the same figure, 54% said in the course of making their current documentary, they have experienced 
mental health concerns that were affecting their their lives to a greater rather than lesser extent. Um, 54% have said that they had experienced that. And there seemed to be, we haven't proved it, but there did seem to be a correlation between the struggle to finance things and how this was affecting people's mental health. And of that 54%, 32% say, I know where to get help, but I can't afford it. That really resonates with me, actually. The love of the story, the love of the people, this sense of wanting to share this story because this story has such um, importance in your own mind for the world to be out there and existing and that um, that can also override. <laughs> That's it for this preview edition of the Storymakers Institute. Become a paid subscriber to access the full episode. Just visit the storymakersinstitute.substack.com forward slash subscribe.